I just write the music that I feel like I need to write and let somebody come in later and put some labels on it. Composer Aaron Price on this edition of Presto. I'm John Nowacki, and Presto is a production of New England Public Radio. Aaron Nathan Price is a composer, clarinetist, and arranger based in Connecticut. He's the artistic director and co-founder of Connecticut Summerfest and director of Woodwind Studies at the Music Makers International Academy. His works and performances have been heard in the United States, France, Italy, Spain, Switzerland, Thailand, and the United Arab Emirates. Price earned his Master of Music in Composition at the Hart School, where he studied with Dr. Jilda Lyons, Dr. Robert Carl, and Dr. Larry Allen Smith. Previously, Price graduated magna cum laude from the University of Connecticut, earning his Bachelor of Music in Composition with a minor in the Spanish language. While attending UConn, Price studied composition with Dr. Kenneth Fuchs, Earl MacDonald, and Dr. Arthur Krieger, and clarinet with Kurt Blood. Aaron, welcome to Presto. I want to start a little bit with some of your background. I found a reference to your being the first graduate of the University of Connecticut Composition Degree Program. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, I had thought that maybe quite some time ago they had had this program, but I guess not. It's always a funny thing to ask an 18-year-old or even a 21-year-old or sometimes a 30-year-old what they want to do with the rest of their lives. So I had arrived at the University of Connecticut thinking, oh, maybe I'll be a Spanish educator. I quickly realized, no, I'd rather be a musician. I'd been writing in my spare time quite a lot. I said, well, what if this was what I did for a living rather than as a hobby? And that's when I more seriously started to look at it. And Ken Fuchs is a wonderful composer, really great educator. I was studying with him, and I guess I hadn't realized that that wasn't actually an official program quite yet. So it wasn't official when you'd started with him. It was a sort of interesting do-it-yourself thing where it seems like it would have been somewhat in the process before, but they hadn't had any students who were quite there yet in terms of making it a real degree program versus a minor or an emphasis or something else. So there were a number of interesting steps involved. For example, they had taught a formal electronic music course before, so we had to bring in somebody to do that. You said that you'd been writing music sort of as a hobby. You were clarinetist? Yes. Did you also have a jazz background? A little bit, yeah. I had studied with Earl McDonald in a couple of jazz courses. Some of them were part of the composition curriculum to do jazz arranging, improvisation, those kinds of things. I played in jazz bands in high school as well. Did that influence your compositions then? Absolutely. I've done a lot of study on the different ways that they use harmonies both functionally and not functionally in jazz, and a lot of those harmonies and rhythms sort of seem to sneak their way into some of my composition. How would you care? characterize your music then? Yeah, that's always the tough thing. As soon as I say a genre, there's a whole lot of baggage that comes along with that, that somebody could listen to it and say, you know, you said neo-romantic, I don't know if I hear that. Or you say influenced by jazz, I don't know if I hear that, right? I usually let other people say it. I just write the music that I feel like I need to write and let somebody come in later and put some labels on it. It's interesting you used the term neo-romantic. I had a conversation with Ken Fuchs about music and I hesitated to use neo-romantic and yet that's kind of what's happening. I had spoken to Richard Bass at UConn about it. I said, you know, if you had to characterize, based on what you know about what's being written today, a musical period, so to speak, what would you call it? And he had an interesting word that sort of stuck with me, which is eclecticism. And it's a lot of different people with a lot of different influences from a lot of different things, and it becomes tougher and tougher to categorize. There'll be, this is classical, but also inspired by hip-hop, or this will be jazz, but it's inspired by Indian classical music. So I sort of think that we are in a, a period of eclecticism, right? And there's the influence of the electronic sound world as well. What kind of effect do you think that has on audio? Audiences. I think there's both an openness and a closeness to it, and it just depends on the person. How do you go about getting your music performed? 
the easiest way, of course, is when you've been to school with someone or you go to a music festival and you meet somebody and they'll play in an ensemble that you're interested in writing for or maybe they approach you and they say, I'm a bassoonist, but I also play contrabassoon. Would you write a contrabassoon piece? Right now I can tell you I'm working on a reed quintet where I know the bassoonist and the bassoonist also went to University of Connecticut and initially we were talking about writing a contrabassoon piece, but then he mentioned that he was working with a reed quintet. So I know him. I don't know the other members of the ensemble. So a lot of times it just has to do with who you know, who's interested. For example, some of the clarinet arrangements I've done was somebody who contacted me through my website and now it's gone on to be performed in the UAE and Thailand and there's talk about potentially Cambodia. It's an interesting place to be in because having gone to certain universities and gone to different music festivals, I get to meet a lot of people, but then there's also the random aspect of the internet that sort of sometimes sneaks its head in there. You've been writing primarily for chamber ensembles, is that right? Have you tackled larger stuff? I have. The difficulty there is logistics. It's a lot more difficult to get a large ensemble to move on a piece, especially if I don't have a lot of recordings of previous things I've written for large ensembles, so it's tough for them to build the sense of credibility. It can sometimes be difficult to get traction, get things moving the way that you might want to or expect to. Well, Aaron, you were talking about your music in particular, and you've brought a couple of recordings along. Let's talk about one or two pieces that you really would like people to hear as a composer. Sure. So the most recent release is a CD on a Blaze Records. It's called New Choral Voices Volume 2. It's a recording by Coro Volante with Brett Scott Conductor. and includes one of my compositions on there called Merfolk, which is, includes mermaids, mermen. It's a mixed choir, and it's a vocalese piece. My choice to do so sort of comes from thinking if you've ever tried to speak underwater, it's not going to be very successful. So I thought, well, if these mer people are going to be communicating, would they really be using spoken languages or would it be sort of more of vocalic syllables as a way of getting the actual message across the ocean? So that was the choice there to compose vocalese versus with a text. All right, have a listen to Merfolk by Aaron Price.
Merfolk, performed by Coral Volante, conducted by Brett Scott. Aaron, let's pick another cut. So this recording, also from Ablaze Records, uh, is the Piero Ensemble Series, Volume 1. This also includes a composition of mine called Aboard the Phantom Train. And this is composed for most of the Piero Ensemble. It's flute, clarinet, violin, cello, and piano. And what is it about the piece that you really like? We had spoken before about ways that jazz has influenced my music, and I think this one definitely has a little bit of that influence. I wouldn't go out and say this is a jazz piece. There are definitely rhythms and harmonies and ways that harmonies move around that are absolutely influenced by jazz, and yet it's definitely something that stands as a contemporary classical piece. All right, let's have a listen.
That was Aboard the Phantom Train, performed by flutist Peter Pomkla, clarinetist Emil Drapila, violinist Marie Patrishkova, cellist Pavel Shabaki, and pianist Sharka Kralova. Well, now, we've got to talk about Connecticut Summerfest. Connecticut Summerfest is a week-long contemporary music festival for emerging composers and ensembles. What we do is we hire three chamber ensembles, it's ensembles in residence, and we put out an application, which is judged blindly, for composers to come to the festival and work one-on-one with these ensembles and compose a new piece, which is premiered and workshopped during the festival. So not only do they get rehearsals with the ensembles, there are also recording sessions, and the live premieres are video recorded and live streamed. How did the idea for the festival come about? So I was speaking to co-founder, co-director Gala Flagello when we were both students at the Hart School, and we were looking for music festivals to attend ourselves because it's a great way to, to continue writing in the summer and meet new people and network and everything else. So we said, well, what's local? And we started looking, and we saw very, very few things in Connecticut. And almost jokingly, we said, well, we could start a festival. And <laughs> here we are uh, after year three with several contracts in for year four. So we saw it as an opportunity especially in, in a, a difficult job market, to really create opportunities both for ourselves and for others. You mentioned the way that you select the composers who are going to be part of this. You had four this time, is that right? Nine. Nine composers. Nine involved. composers. We had four composition faculty. So in addition to the recording sessions and rehearsals, everybody gets to study with professional composers. This year, they were all from different institutions in Connecticut. Ken Fuchs, Dan Ramon, Paula Mathewson, and Larry Allen Smith. After the rehearsals, there are also individual composition lessons with each of those composers. How do you pick the festival composers? It's a blind adjudication process. So in, in these past few years, it's been Ken Fuchs and Dan Ramon. On our end, we make sure, A, that all of the scores submitted to us are anonymous. We once got one that said, anonymous score one by composer. So we make sure it's really actually anonymous. That's step one. And step two is we send it off to them and we assign each composer a number. And we ask both of the adjudicators to give a number score from 1 to 10 and to give comments. And the comments are mostly because composers can ask later for their comments, and I think that's a great feedback tool for them. And even composers who attended the festival did ask for some of the feedback. This past year, we had 50 applicants, so we got all the number scores, and it's literally just addition. We calculate it all together, and we get the top nine scores of the nine people that we accept to the festival. Down from there is the wait list. Now, the festival just completed its third year. And you've already got plans in place for the next year, I'm sure. The first ensemble is Duo Alterity, who's returning from this past season. They were fellow students of ours when we were at the Hart School. They are currently actually living in Manchester, so they're still in the Hartford area. It's a way for us to include Connecticut performers in Connecticut Summerfest. They're a flute and guitar duo. And we're having new this year Quince, who is a vocal quartet, all female. And we're also having Hub New Music, who is flute, clarinet, violin, and cello. So most of a Puro ensemble. How's the festival being received? We've gotten a lot of really great feedback from the community. We've gotten great feedback from all the composers and the ensembles involved. And for us, that's the best thing that we could get is to know that what we're doing really is making a difference. So, all right, Aaron, let's pick one more piece. Sure. This is an independently released CD by Apple Orange Pear. They're a horn and harp duo, 
and I met them at the Atlantic Music Festival, and that's a larger music festival, so you know you meet a lot of people, and we connected as soon as I said I'm from Connecticut. Oh, we're from Connecticut too. They actually were in residence at Connecticut Summerfest in both 2016 and 2017. And I was really attracted to what an unusual pairing, apple-orange pair, so to speak, right? It's like apples and oranges, but they're a pair. When I had met them at the festival, I said, oh, that's so interesting that you play together as, as a duo. If I wrote a piece, would you take a look at it? And they said, sure. And they didn't realize that I was going to write a piece in just a few days, and premiere was just a few days later. So as I said, chamber music is very quick to make it to the stage. So this was a piece that I composed while in residence at the Atlantic Music Festival, and it's called Amber Veil. Vale. And that's sort of a reference to, in my mind, sort of the swirling veil of sand and a traveler out in the desert, as demonstrated, I hope, by the sounds of the piece. All right, great. Let's listen to it. Amber Vale, performed by horn player Emily Boyer and harpist Colleen Potter Thornburgh, who perform as the Apple Orange Pear.
Well, Aaron, I just have to say thank you so much for coming by. It's been a real treat, and we'll have to keep an eye on things, on you in particular. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Let us know what you think about Presto. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send an email to radio at nepr.net. To find out more about all of our Presto programs, visit our website at nepr.net slash Presto. The executive producer of Presto is John Vosey. I'm John Nowacki. Thanks for listening. Presto is a production of New England Public Radio.